Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I would like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series where I take a deep dive into the Miller and Chevalier Chartered 2020 Latin American Corruption Survey. In this podcast series, I visit with lawyers from Miller's FCPA and International Anti-Corruption Practice Group. They focus on matters involving the FCPA, money laundering, business and human rights, and other areas of international corporate compliance. They have experience with every facet of FCPA enforcement, from inception to completion, including developing work plans for international investigations, conducting internal investigations, developing remediation strategies, disclosing issues to the U.S. government, and negotiating resolutions with the government as well as developing strategies for collateral issues, selecting independent monitors, and interfacing with independent monitors. If you ever find yourself in the need for an FCPA or international anti-corruption lawyer, check out any of these lawyers from Miller & Chevalier. Over this series, I will visit with James Tillon, Matt Ellis, Alejandra Almonte, and Greg Bates. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. In this Part four of our five-part exploration of the Miller and Chevalier 2020 Latin American Corruption Survey. I visit with Council Greg Bates, and we explore the survey's data on compliance program and design in Latin America. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back for another episode in our five-part podcast series on the uh, Miller and Chevalier 2020 Latin American Corruption Survey. Today, I have with me Greg Bates. First of all, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me no, today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Greg, I'm really excited to visit with you because um, I'm an in-house guy. And so I think about compliance program design and implementation. And so I was wondering if I might start with how does this survey help or what does it mean for the in-house compliance specialist as opposed to perhaps the white collar defense lawyer? So I think for me, in, in having spent six years in-house um, and now really spending a lot of time sort of deep in the weeds with with lots of companies that are going through really challenging times. I think probably the biggest advantage or the, the biggest takeaway I have from something like this is the benchmarking that you can do. Um, I know that when I was in-house, we were always looking to see what peers were doing or see, see what companies with similar risk profiles or operating in similar, similar geographies, what they were doing um, vis-a-vis their compliance program. And, um, you know, developed a good network of, of folks to benchmark against. But if you don't have that, surveys are a wonderful way to go. And this survey um, is, you know, we reached about a thousand people all throughout the hemisphere. And it really does offer a lot of good data for compliance folks in-house to be able to use and look at their programs vis-a-vis what others are doing. I've been able to uh, interview uh, members of your firm literally over the years on this survey. And one of the things that has struck me is that perhaps... 10, 12, even eight years ago, many of your clients were U.S. domestic companies moving into Brazil. And now I see, uh, if not an equal number, a very large number of Brazilian companies uh, looking to do business for what they would call internationally. Uh, And now it seems to me you have a great mix, which allows a U.S. compliance practitioner or a Brazilian compliance practitioner, perhaps even a European compliance practitioner, to look at other international companies in a benchmark way. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we had a, a great Brazilian partner with this, with this survey and reached, you know, several hundred Brazilian um, company representatives. And 
you know, reached a, a further 600 or so out through us, throughout the rest of the region. So Brazilians are certainly well positioned to take this survey, take the results and think about their own you know, compliance requirements domestically and see what other companies in their home market are doing. But then also as Brazilian companies, you know, expand throughout the hemisphere to see what other folks are doing in those geographies as well. Greg, I was wondering if you could give us sort of an overview of the trends you see about the compliance program data from the survey. Sure. So I think, and this probably won't be too surprising to your your listeners, but I think that a couple of the big takeaways are that multinational companies, particularly the publicly traded companies, have more advanced compliance programs than the local companies, than privately held companies. That being said, um, we are seeing an uptick in sort of the sophistication of the compliance programs across the board, even in the local privately held companies and also in the, the publicly traded multinationals. Uh, I know you had a large number of, of respondents to the surveys with literally a mix of multinational, regional, uh, national corporations. What do you see in the terms of levels of importance of compliance programming based upon the companies that responded? Yeah. So one of the trends, and maybe, uh, maybe it's not fair to characterize it as a trend, but one of the things that's held constant since we started doing this survey um, in 2008 is that about 90% of respondents consider compliant, consider anti-corruption concerns, consider corruption to be one of the major risk areas for their companies. Um, in this particular edition of the survey, for example, um, we had about 58% of the respondents say that corruption was their top priority for their company. And about a, th- a further 32 some odd percent said it was a moderate priority. Those figures are pretty consistent across the surveys that we've done. So I think that's fair to say that people are constantly recognizing that corruption is a challenge um, and then taking steps to, to address that. Uh, one of my other observations about uh, some of the prior surveys moving forward to 2020 was that uh, most of the time early on, it was you guys representing a U.S. company who might be looking at a Brazilian partner or doing business in Brazil. And now I see you guys having perhaps a Brazilian client or a U.S. company who has to respond to a Brazilian company from a business partner mm-hmm. perspective. And does this in information in this survey give the U.S. company a way to craft a compliance program more in tune to the Clean Companies Act than perhaps the FCPA to help mold it to what the Brazilians want to see? So the, the survey doesn't focus on specific legislation. It doesn't focus on the FCPA or the Clean Companies Act or any of the other applicable laws in a, in a given jurisdiction. What it does do is ask about some of the what we would consider the best practices. And so in that sense, you, you can look at the Clean Companies Act. Um, you can look at the administrative guidance in Brazil about what constitutes an effective compliance program, much like you could look at you know, DOJ or DOJ and SEC guidance in the United States and see what, what factors they're looking at. And you'll find some commonalities. And the survey does address some of those areas such that you could say, okay, if I'm going to be in Brazil, if I'm a U.S. company that's setting up shop there, um, you know, I'm going to need, I'm going to want to, you know, meet obviously my U.S. requirements, but what are the Brazilian requirements? And you pretty quickly see that some of them are, are do overlap. Greg, if, uh, if I was advising a U.S. company and I started off with what is perceived to be the highest risk, of course, I would say third parties. But there are numerous other compliance risks. And I was wondering what the survey may have told us about compliance programs 
when around risks like gift travel and entertainment or uh, something around training or reporting systems, something really other than third parties. Do you see anything in that data? So we, we certainly see that companies are investing more and more in developing training programs, in developing um, audit programs, for example, to look at their third parties, to look at, you know, to develop their third party um, program as well, just you know, from a due diligence perspective. One of the really interesting parts, though, to the survey is that you can you can think about third parties, you can think about diligence, you can think about auditing, you can think about training, but then our survey also allows you to look at who, are, what, which institutions are the ones that are causing people the most grief in in Latin America. Um, and you know, one of the things that I've been looking at a lot lately are the police and security forces in Latin America, and um, in parts of the region, particularly in, in Mexico and parts of Central America. Um, police compose a real tra- a real challenge for companies. Um, security forces compose a real challenge for companies, and our our survey actually reflects that as well. So, if I were a compliance officer in house and I was, you know, say, running a program in Guatemala or El Salvador, um, I would be very concerned about how my employees are interacting with those security forces, um, what sort of training they're getting for hiring third parties to maybe do local delivery. What sort of training are those third parties getting? What is their track record? What do our audits of them show in terms of payments going, um, payments potentially being made improperly? Greg, in researching uh, you, the firm, and this survey, I came across an article that you co-wrote with your colleague Alejandro Almonte around COVID-19, coronavirus, and Latin America. So I've been saving this question for you. uh, (laughs) This survey was conducted before COVID-19 really took full hit in Latin America, but where do you see, or what do you see some of the biggest compliance challenges literally for perhaps the next 12 to 18 months related to coronavirus? Yeah, the, the survey did, the survey did go out just before you know, COVID really did hit the region. And it's, it's just devastating for those of us who spent a lot of time in the region to see how badly it really is hitting um, you know big and small countries alike in, in Latin America. And I, and I think Tom, you're, Estimation there in time frame is is probably spot on. It's going to be a long time before folks are out of the the COVID woods here. Um, in response to your to your question, you know, I, it, there are going to be commercial challenges. There are going to be operational challenges. There are going to be labor challenges. Those are probably three big buckets that I would put um, the challenges in terms of commercial challenges. You know, we're seeing from some clients um, that you know their business has just died. Their business is just died's probably the wrong word at this point in time. Sorry for that, but it's really dropped off. Um, but other clients are seeing their business spike and boom. I mean, they're providing medical um, medical devices, or they're providing PPE, or they're providing something else that is needed um, in the current moment. So that part of their business is doing just gangbusters. Um, but from a compliance perspective, you want to think about. How are you incentivizing your employees during these times um, when you think about the commercial challenges? If the sales folks can't make their numbers, does that mean that they're not going to get their full compensation package? Um, you know, if they're, if they're not, then they might be inclined to go ahead and do some things inappropriately such that they can, you know, still put food on the table for their families. Um, from an operational perspective, one of the things we're seeing is just the challenge of keeping your business open. Um, obviously, with, with strong labor unions and strong labor ministries in the region, um, they are going to want to look out for the workers and make sure that workers are safe. So if you do have your, your, you know, your office open, your company open, 
Um, I think you can expect a little bit more involvement than you might otherwise with the labor ministry, with your unions, and um, you know expect them to to really want to understand when it's safe for the workers to be there, and for them to have a voice in, in saying when it's not. Um, that really does lead to sort of the labor challenge, which you know could mean that workers walk out. Um, increased inspections. Increased inspections obviously mean an increased opportunity for um, improper payments to um, to facilitate an easy inspection. Um, so these are the types of things that we're seeing from clients and um, probably will see for the foreseeable future as as COVID you know, has its has its hands firmly around the region. Well, Greg, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I wanted to thank you uh, for taking the time to visit with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Miller & Chevalier 2020 Latin American Corruption Survey. We've linked to the uh, survey itself in the show notes in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. So uh, download a copy in your native language and check it out. It's chock full of information. I hope you'll join us again uh, for our next episode where I sit down with James Tillon and Matt Ellis, both firm members, and we take a look back at the series of Latin American corruption surveys that the firm has engaged in literally since 2008, try to take a retrospective and look at some of the bigger pictures, stories, and issues that have developed around anti-corruption compliance and anti-corruption enforcement in Latin America literally over the past 12 years. It's an episode I know you will enjoy and you certainly will not want to miss. This special five-part podcast series has been a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.